Hi, I'm Marisa McClellan, creator of Food in Jars. And I'm Joy Manning, a freelance writer focused on food and health. Welcome to Local Mouthful. We're here to talk shop with obsessed home cooks everywhere. This week, we're talking about a new vegan mozzarella, tofu burgers, and what we're cooking for Halloween. So let's get into it. A few episodes ago, I told you about um, Miyoko's pizza truck tour and how I went and sampled the pizza with her new revolutionary, it's billed as being revolutionary, liquid squeeze bottle mozzarella. Remember? Yeah, I do. Totally. At that point, I only had the tasting experience of it, which was pretty good. I thought the cheese was definitely um, tasty. You know, I would not necessarily mistake it for dairy mozzarella, but I thought it was an improvement over some of the vegan mozzarellas I've had. It didn't have a like a pasty, waxy quality in my mouth, which I liked, and it was very flavorful. I liked the ingredients, um, and I was just really excited to get a hold of a bottle. And Miyoko's actually sent me one. <laughs> it's she actually sent me two. It's usually you that get all the the goodies, but um, I was excited to get this packet. And, and I think at this point it's available in Sprouts. Um, so if you live near a Sprouts grocery store and this is of interest to you, you can go grab a bottle for yourself. I think they're priced at uh seven dollars. Um, and you can make a, a lot of quite a few pizzas with them. Um, maybe six. Um, anyway, so I got it and I was really excited to try it because, you know, I wanted to, the bottle promises that it bubbles and browns. I didn't see a lot of evidence of browning from the truck, but of course I wasn't in charge of the cooking then. So I, uh, wanted to see what I could do with it. And I, that very night changed my whole dinner plan around to do (laughs) a pizza night. And so, uh, I just wanted to give you sort of the blow by blow of how it worked. So I opened the bottle and it said you use only one quarter cup of mozzarella for a 10 inch pizza, which struck me as pretty scant. Mm-hmm. My pizzas are, I make them in a quarter sheet pan. So I, I think that that's analogous roughly to a 10 inch pizza. And I poured it into a liquid measuring cup because, you know, I like to be precise. And. <laughs> First, I put on my pizza, or my um, tomatoes, my tomato sauce, and then I poured on the cheese. And I was very surprised at how thin it was. Mm. I would compare the texture to water, even. Really, I was expecting it to be thicker. Like, uh-huh. I want to say, like the vegan mozzarella I make at home when I make it from scratch, which is thicker than heavy cream. It's it's. Like a gravy texture, I would say, is what I was expecting. But what I got was really like a water texture. And I tasted it raw, of course. And it had a starchy taste, which is not surprising since it had a raw starchy taste, which it has tapioca in it, which thickens it and gives it some of that mozzarella-y, gooey stretchiness. Yeah. So I put the tomato sauce down, poured on my quarter cup of liquid mozzarella, which because it was so thin seemed like plenty in the end. And then I put my toppings on. I used, I like more toppings on my pizza than is maybe prudent. I had, for this one, I had mushrooms, kale, onion, pepper, and maybe one other thing. So into the oven it went. The the bottle says you want to cook your pizza for 10 minutes at 500, which is what I typically would do. And when it was done, after 10 minutes, it didn't, seem brown or bubbly. I always cook my pizza on the lowest rack to get a nice crisp bottom. 
So then mm-hmm. I moved it into my toaster oven, which has a nice strong broiler, and I broiled the top for a little bit, and then I got my brown my browning and my bubbles, which it was very satisfying in the end. And so That's awesome. the taste test was it was great. It was really, really good. Uh this pizza cheese reminds me of the pizza cheese you get and I'm trying to say this in like the most favorable way at just like a generic corner pizza shop. You know, do you understand that it's almost melds with the sauce? Yes. It has um, a richness, a creaminess, but it's not like it's not like a high end fancy pizza experience, which you don't necessarily always want. No, it, it sounds like what you're describing is that it's more like um, bagged mozzarella than it is like fresh hand-torn mozzarella. Absolutely. That's true. And and bagged mozzarella on a pizza is delicious. So I would be delighted if pizza shops started using this as an alternative, which I know is Miyoko's big goal for it. Um, yeah. I get my vegan pizzas in South Philly, usually from Pizza Plus, which makes a delicious nine-inch deep dish crunchy on the bottom pizza i love their tomatoes um and they use some kind of obviously shredded cheese and it has a, some of the i still like i like this pizza but it has the telltale vegan cheese things it's not doesn't brown it has a little bit of a plasticky quality and yeah. i think that this cheese would be a big improvement over that and miyoka says in her marketing materials that that's the issue with a lot of the vegan mozzarella you know it has anti caking agents that go to keep the shreds separate in the bag, but that same quality keeps them separate when you try to melt them. Yeah. You know, and so why not just make it liquid and then you don't, you don't encounter any of that problem. It is creamier. Did it it thicken up in the oven? Like, do you feel like it, it activated, like the heat activated the tapioca starch? Obviously it didn't have a raw starch taste and it did thicken up a lot. Um, So I did it once. I think next time I might, do what Pizza Plus does and some other pizzerias do, which is put the cheese on the bottom mm. and then sauce and toppings on the top. I think that that might make it even more of a fake out. Um, I'll report back. This is obviously like, you know how I feel about pizza. And um, you are a fan. Being vegan and pizza is like a little bit of a hard thing to nail down exactly. But the other thing I was thinking of, this would be great on top of a vegan lasagna. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm going to try next with this cheese. I went to the pizza truck with your friend and mine, Fran Costigan, who is a vegan cookbook author and a vegan dessert expert. And she was speculating that people might be dipping vegetables into this. And having tasted it now out of the bottle, I don't, that's not going to happen because of the thinness and the raw starchy taste. But I wonder if you put it in a little saucepan. I should try this too, just as an experiment. To well, see what, what it makes me think of is like a, you know, a cauliflower cheese situation. Yeah. Like, you know, how you would make sort of a bechamel and um, put your cauliflower in it like that. That could work. Or yeah. even um, use it to top some sort of um, pasta casserole situation. Yes. Yeah. I think that my next two things are going to be putting it on top of a lasagna and just putting it into a small saucepan and heating it and see what happens as it heats, how it thickens, what that's, that's what I'm going to do next. Um, it's, I, the, the other thing that I feel like I must say, it's so easy. That's like one of the main selling points of it. It's very, not like 
I've made vegan mozzarella for pizza from scratch, and it is like an extra step that you don't always want to do. This just makes pizza night easier, and I'm 120% for that, and I really am into it. And it is um, lower in saturated fat and calories. I think, um, not that that's my primary goal for veganizing pizza, but it is, you know, I'm concerned very much about saturated fat, and I like knowing that it's not only easy and tasty, but also healthier than some of the other alternatives that have more coconut in them. You know how coconut is like the only plant-based or one of the only plant-based saturated fats. So uh, tell me about these tofu burgers you made. Okay. So I know this is not really your speed in life, but sometimes I like to make a recipe exactly as written from a cookbook. (laughs) And one of my favorite cookbooks lately and for a while is Vegan Eats World by Terry Hope Romero. Um, mm-hmm. she was the co-author of Veganomicon with Issa Chandra Moskowitz. And it's, I feel like it's a little bit of a sleeper book in the vegan cookbook world, but I have a really specific reason why I tried this recipe and I, you, you were on the West coast in the nineties, right? Yeah, I sure was. I went to college in New York city and it was sort of where my food awakening happened. You know, I grew up in a house where there wasn't a lot of cooking or fancy food things or really, it was a lot of, you know, I've talked about this many times, a lot of packaged food, a lot of pizza. Um, so it was only when I went away to college that I encountered different types of foods. And yeah, one of my favorite places as an NYU student was a restaurant called Dojo in the West Village. And it was, Japanese-inspired, hippie-ish. Are you familiar with this restaurant? Mm-mm. It was really your kind of food, Marisa. Everything <laughs> came with brown rice. <laughs> like your like mom, your mom would be so into it. It's closed now, but anyway, my favorite thing to eat there was called the soy burger dinner, and it was essentially a soy burger patty that, in retrospect, I think was probably deep fried. And it came with the aforementioned scoop of brown rice, short grain, as well as a little salad with, um, you know, maybe even iceberg lettuce, cucumbers, maybe some radishes, sprouts, of course, sprouts. And then the whole thing came with like a small bucket of a condiment that I know you love and I love and we've talked about on this podcast before, carrot ginger dressing. The best. So... Being in my middle 40s, I don't, maybe this happens to you, maybe it doesn't. Sometimes I like go down a rabbit hole and I just want to eat something I ate when I was younger. Totally understand. And in my casting about the internet to try to find the recipe for this, it, um, I came up with the Sensai Tofu Hajiki Burgers in Vegan Eats World. So I look at the recipe and I'm like, this isn't exactly what I remember, but she, she talks about dojo and the head note and everything. And I thought, I'm going to give this a go. And maybe it'll take me take me back to those days in the late 90s at Dojo. So how you make this burger, it's essentially a, mostly tofu. You mash up half a block of tofu. I have the recipe, so that's what I'm going to be talking about here. You And I mashed it with a potato masher. And then you rehydrate a little bit of seaweed and dice it up fine and throw that in. And then there's some ground... Um, in a blender, you put some sesame seeds in a blender and grind it up to a fine powder and you throw that in. Naturally, there's soy sauce. Um, but that's pretty much it. Then you then you just um, 
I think there's some breadcrumbs too. And then you press it into patties and um, you can press it into panko crumbs at that point and then bake it or fry it. I decided to bake it just for ease and mess reasons. And um, meanwhile, I made that carrot ginger dressing, which, my goodness, so delicious. I actually made a half batch of that as well in my tiny new um, Vitamix attachment. That's just, yeah. Pardon? Is it a, the blender bowl? It's like a little... I yeah, yeah. Talking about that. Little guy. Um, so I made half a batch of that, which is, you know, basically just carrots, ginger, sesame oil... Again, I think there's some soy sauce, miso. It's, I mean, like, it's so delicious. I should have made the whole recipe. <laughs> anyway, I plated it up, and it could not have been more hippie-ish in appearance. I would have a photo to share with you, but now it gets dark at dinner time, so my photos have really gone down the tubes. Um, <laughs> but it was one of those things where I wasn't necessarily expecting Dan to like it that much because of this strong health food hippie vibe that it has, but he ended up really liking it, and so maybe it's less weird than I would have thought. Um, it did give me the nostalgia feels, but it was not the soy burger. As I learned later, I went on the internet some more, and this was a different burger that they served at Dojo that I actually never ordered. It must have been more expensive than the soy burger dinner. Um, <laughs> apparently, the soy burger is like basically just mashed, cooked mashed soybeans that's fried. I, I don't know. I could not find a reliable looking recipe for it. But nonetheless, it brought me back in time. It was a delicious, nutritious dinner. And most of all, you know, I've been really going through a, a slump in the kitchen. It made me want to cook, which I give it a gold star for that. Um, and I must say, I think you would like it, too. It it sounds good to me. I, you know, I always enjoy a new way to use tofu, too. And that sounds like a really nice one. Really easy. I, I did find a recipe on the Internet, which I'll link to in the show notes, and you should perhaps take a look at as well. Tofu is such a miracle ingredient. You can really just basically mash it up and make it into a patty. And if you start with good tasting tofu, you're kind of all set. Yeah. So maybe you'll try it and give me your feedback. Maybe you'll leave the seaweed out. Perhaps your children wouldn't like that. But it does seem kid-friendly otherwise. You know, I'm I'm really trying, speaking of kid food, um, not to dumb down food. Like, that's been my goal so far. Like So I've been feeding them a lot of um, soups that I've made mm -hmm. and my instinct is, oh, I should leave out the kale because they're not going to like the green stuff. I'm like, no, they need to get used to the fact that there's going to be kale in my food. That you can say that, that again. To, yeah. And <clears throat> that they're going to have to learn to eat it. And so far, um, Sammy hasn't had any trouble with kale. Declan resists it sometimes, but um, they're eating it. They're eating soups. They're eating um, like little bean medleys that I make with like corn and peppers and stuff. So I'm really hoping that i if I just don't clue them into the fact that it's optional, mm -hmm. it won't be. So um, I would make it with the with the seaweed for them just to try to, I mean, maybe chop it up or even grind it so that it doesn't pose like a textural issue, mm -hmm. but um, leave it in so that they don't know that it can't be there. You know, I read on the internet maybe at some point or maybe even someone told me that when you're pregnant and what you're eating, like circulates in your amniotic fluid right <laughs> and so your kids kind of get used to that before they're even born and if that is true your kids should be okay with kale because i know it is like the official vegetable <laughs> of the mcclellan family yeah. table it is true i mean scott doesn't love it either but it shows up enough that he's just like all right i eat kale you know kale and cabbage we uh we go through a head of cabbage a week these days so uh that's great yeah so anyway, 
It's my rec- recipe recommendation of the week for everyone. You and all I'm, of our friends out there. It. So awesome. So you want to talk about Halloween eats? Can you even believe it's Halloween? This month has gone so fast. Uh, my my brain is spinning a little bit. I cannot believe that we are almost. I feel like wasn't it just August? Now it's almost November. How did this happen? I think that's partially um, a trick of the weather, but I feel you. Yes. Yeah, it was so warm for so long that it felt like it was still summer until last week, this week. I don't know. And now it's um, warm again. I mean, I don't know if you went outside. Of course, you go outside every day with the kids, right? Yeah. It was warm yesterday. It's supposed to cool down again, though. And I think that this when? time is the final cool when? down. Tomorrow. Oh, Tomorrow. thank goodness. So we're recording this on um, Thursday, the week before the episode airs, and it's war- it was warm yesterday, it was warm today, but tomorrow I think it's supposed to be at least 10 degrees cooler is the high. Hooray. And I think from what it looks like, then then we're done. I'm very excited. I finally pulled out some sweaters. It was very satisfying. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. That's the Philadelphia weather, weather report. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So let's talk about chili, which to me is a classic Halloween night meal. Well, I was thinking about um, both Halloween and the content for this episode. And I remembered last year, you said that your mom always made chili when you were growing up and that you wanted to start that tradition in your family. So I figured yeah. you were planning on making it. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of why she made it, I mean, she made it for a couple of reasons. She'd make a big pot of chili on Halloween. One, because it's like a good baseline for your stomach. Like she figured if we were going to be eating candy all evening, she wanted to get fiber and protein and some vegetables into us so that at least there'd be something kind of grounding us as we went into an evening full of sugar. Um, and the other reason is that uh, we used to live in a neighborhood at one point when I was growing up that was a very popular trick-or-treating spot. And so often people we knew would come by. And so like a big pot of chili, if like a friend, you know, some friends drop by and the parents haven't eat yet, eaten yet or something, she could just invite them in for some chili. Like, hey, there's a big crock pot of chili. Come on in and have a snack. Um, while your kids finish the neighborhood. That's nice. So yeah, it was, it was really great. It was a fun element of, um, of growing up. And, you know, I'd love at some point to be able to do that. I don't really, I get a few trick or treaters. We do do trick or treating in my apartment building, but, um, I do have dreams someday of like living in a big family friendly neighborhood where people stop by and that would be a fun thing to do, but it's not happening right now. Are you taking the kids out trick or treating? Do you think? We're going to trick or treat in the building. So we'll hang a, like a bag of candy on our doorknob and then um, at least do a few floors in mm-hmm. the building. What are the kids going to be dressed up as? Um, we have we have <laughs> three costumes. We got um, matching dino costumes. Mm-hmm. And then um, Sammy had also said he wanted to be a frog. And so we got a frog costume. But once he saw Declan's dino costume, that's what he wanted to be too. And Scott had had the forethought to say, I think once Sammy sees the dino costume, that's what he's actually going to want to be. So we have, uh, I think they're both going to end up being dinos because a dino train is very big around here right now. Gotcha. Well, that'll be fun and cute. And I'm sure we'll see it on the social media. Yes. Yeah, Um, it'll definitely be cute. Anyway, are they old enough to eat chili? They, I have been eating, feeding them chili. Uh, What I do is um, I make it so that it's not spicy, although I never really make spicy chili because Scott doesn't like it. Um, but yeah, they, they do. We put it in big flat bowls so they can kind of make little spoonfuls of the things they want to eat. But um, they're doing really well with beans and corn and like finely chopped vegetables these days. Um, and, you know, most of the time, 
I sometimes make turkey chili and sometimes I make just a, you know, big beanie chili and they, they like it. They Do you know what you're going to make on Sunday? Um, I will probably make just um, like a vegetarian bean chili because I don't think I have any, I don't have any tur- ground turkey in the freezer right now. And I don't know if I'm going to have the ability to get out and get some maybe, but um, yeah, I've just been doing like beans. So my standard chili is, you know, onion, garlic, uh, lots of red pepper or green pepper, whatever peppers I have around. Um, and often either chopped up Swiss chard or kale, lots of tomatoes, sometimes some frozen or canned corn. And then sometimes I will add a pound of ground turkey and sometimes not. It just depends on what's around. Um, and then I use the sort of, there's a, a mild, um, sort of chili blend spice from Penzi's that I use to spice it up. And that's kind of it. It's, but it's really always delicious. Hmm. So you're not going to follow a recipe. I have never followed a chili recipe in my life. <laughs> Maybe you could take some notes and write your chili recipe. I should. I really should because, um, I mean, I almost always make it the same. And often I use uh, a little bit of better than bouillon to help balance the tartness. I find that um, the tomatoes can make it a little bit too like acidic and astringent, mm-hmm. but um, a little bit of better than bouillon. It's like it ups the umami nature of it. And so it doesn't need sugar to balance. It just needs that kind of meatiness to balance the sharpness of the tomatoes. Hmm. Well, I'm sure, it. I'm sure it will be delicious. Sometimes I make some cornbread. Sometimes I make some rice. Sometimes there's nothing. Um, yeah. And I do, this is going to sound funny, but I often serve it with a little bit of, there's a, a corn salsa from Trader Joe's that I really love. And I'll serve it with a little spoonful of that on top because it's a little bit sweet. And so that also helps um, bring a little bit more balance. That sounds good to me. Well, it's I really decided good. that I'm going to starting this year copy your tradition or try try to like make our make our own halloween chili tradition um i'm looking at recipes though of course and i'll put my own spin on them but i have my eye on two one is a tomato based chili one is a green chili um and this this one that i i want to mention that i would um use as my inspiration i think might have an idea for you okay it's the best vegan chili ever from it doesn't taste like chicken. Um, and what intrigues me about this recipe is that it's a, it's a bean base that I think two kinds of beans are called for here, maybe black and kidney. But in my view, of course, you could I could swap out any beans I wanted. But what I like about this recipe is she substitutes or she uses tofu crumbles in addition to, to this. And uh-huh. she has a recipe for tofu bites that this is sort of a version of and i make her tofu bites a lot and i think that you should take a look at it because it's so kid friendly my niece loves it and i just know your kids would love it um but to make the tofu quote-unquote bites you crumble your block of tofu into you know chicken nugget size pieces for lack of a better mm-hmm. word you toss it in soy sauce and nutritional yeast and a little bit of oil and then you bake it until it's like crispy around the edges this is okay. like such an easy, tasty way, kid-friendly way for to do tofu. And for this recipe, she does basically that same technique, but she takes it a step further and then she breaks up the tofu a lot more into small, like ground meat-sized crumbles. But then okay. it gets the soy sauce and nutritional yeast treatment, the roasted in the oven treatment, and then that is added to the chili. So if you don't have turkey, but you do have tofu 
this might be a way for you to add that element that you are referring to. Just a thought. Yeah, that, no, that's interesting. I might actually, I was going to make tofu for dinner tonight. Um, and maybe I'll try doing the, the tofu. The, she um, calls them tofu bites. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll try making the tofu bites tonight. I'll include both the recipe for the chili and the tofu bites. Um, if you try them, you let me know what you think. I, um, I really, they're just super easy and tasty. I add them to kind of a lot of different things, but I do think they would really amp up the meatiness in, in chili. Mm. Um, so that's the red chili that I'm looking at. And then there's a uh, roasted poblano and white bean chili from America's Test Kitchen that I also have my eye on. And uh, I think to that one, I would basically follow it. They, it calls for a lot of corn. I think I might cut back on the corn and um, add soy curls. Mm. which I find to be very chickeny in um, recipes like this. So I don't know. I'm not sure which one I will go with in the end, um, but I'll report back. They both sound really good. I do enjoy a chili. Remember my chili party it's, circa 2014? <laughs> Was that when you celebrated being in um, the the food writing book? Yes, which is like now that was they nice. don't even publish that anymore. It's so sad. Anyway, yeah, we're do. Oh, but I it's think, different. It's a different publisher, yeah. a different editor. The whole thing is different. Um, yeah, they've been changing up the editors. It's. I think at one point Ruth Rachel was editing it. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of a different beast, but it still um, exists in some format. Um, yeah, that was that was. We'll have to talk about that on another occasion. Back when we get into the period in post pandemic era, when we were like thinking about entertaining. Yeah, it's not, it's still not happening here, but, so. um, I do want to share one little tip before we close out, um, Please do. For, for soups, because it is soup season now, speaking of chili and soups and all that good stuff. Um, I, so I made a pot of chicken soup recently, um, and it was sort of a cheater chicken soup. I didn't make any stock. I just sauteed up a bunch of vegetables and, um, then added water and better than bouillon because, you know, that's what I do now. And, um, dropped my chicken in. And then when I was done with that part, you know, when I got to sort of what I felt like was the end, it was really brothy, but almost like out of balance. And so I looked at it and I was thinking, what can I do to sort of bring this into a little bit more um, balance? And so I thought, I'm just going to add a little bit of rice, like not enough to make it a chicken and rice soup, even necessarily just to kind of put something in there that'll sort of add a little bit of, um, starch essentially so that, it's not quite as I wanted to sort of bulk it up and make it slightly less brothy while still maintaining a brothy quality, if that mm-hmm. makes sense to you. And so I added, um, it was a big pot of soup. I, I was planning it to last for three nights for all of us. So it was, I made it in my biggest soup pot, which is nine quarts. Um, so it was, it was a big pot of soup. And so I added a half a cup of um, white rice because um, I needed to feed it to people soon and it would have, brown rice would have taken too long. And I actually think that the white rice was key because it, it almost created sort of like a minor congee effect in the sense that the rice grains cooked to the point where they sort of um, exploded. But that's what I was going for. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want, and then kind of broke apart. So it, created a sense of body and thickened the soup in a really pleasing way. Like it was so satisfying and it didn't taste at all like thick or starchy. It just, um, it was almost as if I had used 
like a really good collagen rich stock is hmm. how the the finished broth felt like it was suddenly just it had more body it wasn't as watery right and and it just felt like a really useful tip to share with everyone that it's like if you want to kind of up the it's almost yeah it's like it just made it feel slightly gave it that kind of gelatinous feel but not in a negative way. You know what I mean? I, I feel like I'm not selling this particularly well, but it really improved the quality of my, my broth and did it in a way where it was, you know, I didn't have to cook anything for a very long time. I didn't need to make a big pot of stock first with um, chicken bones. It just made, gave it that quality that was really nice and, and everybody enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, if you're looking, if you, if you're facing down a pot of soup where the broth is just too brothy, it feels a little bit watery and thin, just a tiny bit of rice can really, um, create a sense of, you know, texture that is welcome. That sounds great. I wonder if rice flour would have had a similar effect. Gosh, I don't know. And that would have been instant. Just a thought. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, it was nice. It, It really, it helped the whole soup come, come together. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, thanks. Well, I think that's about all for this week's episode of Local Mouthful. Our thanks go out to Dan Call for editing the show, to Saul Rosenbaum for designing our logo, and to Raina Rose for providing the music. And thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Local Mouthful. Sign up for our newsletter, catch up on past episodes, and check out our show notes at localmouthful.com. Until next time, happy eating.